Good evening. Good evening. Am I there? Am I sounding like I'm through a microphone? How's everyone going tonight? Good, great, great. Good response, excellent. Um, <clears throat> be a bit of coughing tonight. Have you ever been bogged before? In any way, have you ever been bogged before? I remember as a kid on our dairy farm, um, the regular potential of getting bogged. Um, twice a day, the cows used to uh, get brought up to this yard, um, that was cement, and they'd kind of, every day they'd go up there. And before they got to the, the yard, though, there was this kind of large area. Some of it had, had gravel, and some of it was just dirt. And they'd just kind of sit there, and they'd kind of just do as cows do, a bit of poo on the ground. And, uh, and that would be all right during the, the summer months, if you like. But when it started to rain, where the cows used to kind of congregate before they hit the yard would just turn into this massive, like, pool of mud, kind of poo, if you like. And for all you um, mud enthusiasts, <coughs> not sure there's anyone out there, um, sometimes this mix would be, with lots of rain, would be, like, super runny. Okay, and other times it would get really quite kind of sticky and pasty. And different parts of this uh, pool were like, some of it was actually up to about 40 to 50 centimetres deep, right? And uh, when you'd bring the cows in, some of these um, dumb, foolish cows would kind of stray off into this mud and they'd kind of sit there and, you know, and I'd um, go and get them. Now, I started um, bringing the cows up for my dad when I was 10 years old. And I used to, um, he used to give me gum boots that were about kind of 58 sizes too big for me. And I'd kind of find myself having to wade out into this really deep mud and, uh, and try to get these cows out. And when it was really this sticky, pasty stuff, you put your, your gum boot in it, and it would almost like start eating your gum boot. It would sort of suck it off your foot. So you, you pull up and meet this poor little kid, 10 years old, pull his feet out and then like put his socks like in the mud and all that kind of stuff and that doesn't sound bad but I used to cry about that you know <laughs> I was far from dad and I'd cry out dada and and he wouldn't be able to come and help me so I'd come back from bringing the cows in with muddy feet and muddy gum boots and it was a very sad, uh, sad state of affairs there's been a whole lot of other experiences too I think where I've felt bogged and sometimes not just physically sometimes kind of uh, emotionally or um, mentally, intellectually as well. Like when life is hard, you know, and you kind of feel like, you know, you're bogged, you're stuck in a moment and you, you can't kind of get out of it. And it's moments like these, like when I was a little kid, 10 years old, that I just kind of wished I could be kind of elevated, you know, kind of lifted from the mud and kind of taken to kind of a dry place, if you like. And like when I'm stuck, uh, bogged in my mind, I just want to kind of be, I want to be elevated, you know, I, I desire like, elevation. In tonight's reading from James, <clears throat> um, we hear about some people who are bogged down in this world. They're bogged down in the world. They're getting so concerned with things of the world, that's resulted in them being bogged. And James is writing to them and he's urging them like, get out of the mud, get out. And he tells them a way of getting out of the mud. So I wonder um, how we are tonight, you know, 
how you are tonight. Are you bogged down in the world? Are you bogged down in the world? I'm going to ask uh, Mary to come and do the reading for us. Thanks, Mary. Mary's recently returned from medical school. Holidays. Passing time as she comes up. That's James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. And we'll get the microphone from Mason if he's around anywhere. That'd be great. If you've uh, got your Bibles there, just kind of uh, leave it open. We'll kind of uh, be referring back to it as we go along. Uh, In the beginning of this uh, passage, James directly addresses a problem that's happening in the church. And he labels it. It says, there's fighting and quarrelling going on. For some reason, it appears that the believers are bogged down in arguing. They're bogged down. And there's relationships in the church that are being torn apart. And James, he's got great concern for the church in general. And he wants it to be a place of peace. He wants it to be a place of deep relationships. So he's keen as to get to the bottom of the issue. The church is being sidetracked. It's been sidetracked from its main mission, consumed by infighting. So in verse 1, James wants to know, what causes fighting and quarrelling among you? And he knows the cause, the cause he states in a question afterwards. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? James is saying that the reason for the fights and quarrels is because there is an internal battle raging inside the believers. There is a war being waged. Now what are the different elements in this internal battle, in this internal war of the believer? Well verse 2 tells us. It says, the battle is, you want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. 
You want something, but you can't get it. You don't get it. So you kill and cover. You cannot have what you want. James says that this is what's going on inside the believers. There's a war going on. There's a war going on with the inner longings of the believers. You know, they desire something really, really badly. They long for it. They crave for it. But it seems for them, it's like it's just out of reach. They want it badly, but they can't have it. And because they can't have it, they kind of get angry. They fight and they quarrel. They covet and they even kill one another. Do we as Christians have desires, have cravings, have these longings that battle within us? What do you crave for internally but can't have it? And what is it for you? What can't you have? Maybe you aren't content with your income, even though it's enough to get you by. So maybe you long for more, more money, so that you can drive the car that they drive. You know, covet, when I'm talking about when I say covet, it's wanting what they've got, you know, wanting what they've got, because it looks like they've got it better. You know, do you, do you desire to have clothes like they have? A better set of golf clubs like they have? Do you want to just eat the food that they eat? Are you tired of um, living in a rental house and you just want a, a nicer house of your own? Is your inner desire, maybe, maybe you envy um, certain people because they can travel, you know, and you want to be able to travel because they travel. Maybe you're envious and you just desire to look like they look, you know, or to have a pretty girlfriend or a pretty boyfriend like they've got. Maybe you want to have their boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> maybe it's your ambitions. Maybe, maybe in your ambitions you crave, you long to have, um, to be somewhere else. You don't want to just have the, the kind of the, the dodgy job you have at the moment that doesn't pay good. So you really desire to succeed so you can have a job like they've got. Or do, is it recognition? Do you want to be popular like they're popular? Now, I'm going to say, I don't think it's bad to want to have a more satisfying job or desire a car for kind of healthy, practical reasons. But what I'm asking us is, do you strongly desire any of these things? Do you desire them so much that it occupies a huge amount of your time and of your mental space. And though it might not lead us to kill anyone, it may regularly cause you to just long for what they've got, to covet what someone else has. Are your thoughts dominated by this desire? This is what James points out as being the battle of these desires within us. You know, and let me tell you, these kind of desires for stuff that maybe we don't even need will bog us down. Now, only recently, I mean, I can, I can familiarise with this. I kind of relate to it. Only recently have I stopped obsessing over something. And it had been constantly 
in my thoughts. See, I really would like to buy a house um, to stop living in a rental property, paying off someone else's investment property and start paying off, you know, putting money into my own house. It's kind of wise, but I was obsessing over it slightly too much. Even now, on the weekends, I buy the border mail and I go through all the property, you know, checking out the houses I'd like to buy and with the money I don't have. I even call them up and say, oh, so how big's, your, how big's the house, you know? How many square metre is it, you know? How many rooms? Oh, what sort of heating's it got? Oh, has it got good cooling? Oh, yeah, nice. Good, good, yeah, yeah. What size is the block? Yeah, good, yeah, right. And I do this because I really desire to have a house. Inside me, I've got these strong cravings that just, I want to have a house. I want to have my own house. Because I thought I needed it like I really needed to buy a house. And I'll tell you, it was, it was in my mind so much, like I'd be thinking about it so much. I mean, if I didn't have a house, how would I possibly manage? I must have have a house because my friends have got a house. I haven't made it yet if I don't own my own house. And this desire, like it prevents, prevented me from enjoying the blessings of this great house I already live in. You know, this house that's warm and fantastic. You know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we can be blinded. You know, we can kind of be not even see the great blessings we want because we so want something better. Now I had these, these thoughts a month ago, bogging me down, battling inside my head. And I have to get over it. And we have to get over it. Otherwise, it's going to steal our joy. Steal my appreciation for the house we live in now. That's what it was doing for me. Even prevent me from enjoying life. Now, what is it, what is it for you? What is it that you internally desire really badly so that it's bogging you down now, stealing your joy? What is it? Well, James goes on in verse 2 and 3. And he says, you don't have because you, you don't ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you want on your own pleasures. Now, it's not God's will for us to build our own self-centered kingdoms. God will not answer the prayer of someone who asks God for more money, for more possession, if the underlying motive is to build your kingdom and not to be generous to others. You know, have, you, have you ever heard a little child you know, pray and they go, oh, pray for a million dollars? Or, oh, pray for a Ferrari? You know? Have you ever heard a little child pray that? Have you ever offered a similar prayer yourself? <coughs> and I'm not talking about praying for enough money you know, to get by. I'm not talking about praying for stuff that are you, um, no, I'm talking about praying for stuff that you really don't need. Stuff that you just want so you can keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> Not the Joneses here, the Joneses, inverted commas. Praying for stuff that would, you know, help you live like the more wealthy people do in this world, you know. And it need not be money. It doesn't just need to be money. It can be whatever you're obsessing over in your mind, in your heart. The thing that you really want, but you can't have it. 
and probably don't need. So James writes this letter and he pinpoints the issue. And it's a problem that we might have as well. The problem of fighting and quarrelling that comes from our desires that rage within us, that war within us. Now, it doesn't cause much fighting. I haven't seen any biffos here. I haven't seen much killing around here. But I, I guarantee you it would cause coveting other people's stuff. But what James does now, as he continues on, is he goes a little bit deeper. You see, we don't just have this battle for no reason. There is a source to the problem. So this problem is really just kind of a symptom. Yeah, kind of, it's something that shows up because there's a greater issue. So if you look with me at verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Friendship with the world. The world here is not speaking about God's created planet, but more the ways of people. And specifically, it's talking about the sinful ways of humanity, the sinful practices of humanity. The things that people do that are in opposition to God. This is what friendship, uh, this is what the world is talking about, the sort of world he is talking about. And when it speaks of friendship, it's not talking about kind of, you know, buddy kind of slap on the shoulder. It's saying more a fondness or an affection. Friendship like a love. That's the kind of friendship it's talking about. So James is saying if you get up too up close and personal with the ways, the practices of sinful people, sinful ways, and more than this, that you actually start having an affection, that you start loving or being fond of these sinful ways, that this, this is the cause of these internal battles within our desires. Now, it's true, isn't it? Do you think it's true? Why would I be discontent with the nice house I have? Because the world tells me I need more. Why would you be discontent and desire more money if you have enough? Because the world says you don't have enough. You need more. You'll be happier with more. Why would you be discontent with your level of possessions even if you have enough? Because the world says you don't have enough. If we're becoming too friendly with the ways of the world, we'll start to have desires that reflect what the world says. Now, the media is great for this. The media is powerful at communicating the ways of the world. Not everything the media communicates is wrong, but it's so full of things in opposition to God. So the media says that it's all right to have sex with whoever you want, as many people as you want, as many times as you want. Sex is fun, media says. Sex will kind of fulfill your life. You know, sex, like, get it, fantastic. God's way says, have one partner for life. 
in marriage. The media says that you can find fulfilment in every other place apart from God. Find fulfilment in fashion. That's where it is. Self-image. Find fulfilment in a big house. Find fulfilment in travel, in the latest car, in sport. Now, if you're getting friendly with the world, you will start to think that fulfilment can be found outside of God. You're flirting with the world. Only in Christ can life be found. James uses very strong language to communicate what friendship with the world is. Check out what he says about it. He says, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Pretty full on. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Now, the last one, that's pretty punchy. If we are a friend of the world, we are being adulterous. We are cheating on on God, just like a husband who cheats on his wife by sleeping around with another woman. Verse 5 reads, Do you think, Scripture says without reason, that the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely? You know, for those of us who have uh, given our lives to Jesus Christ, he gives us his spirit that dwells in our heart. Every person who has put their trust in Jesus has God's spirit living in them. And the Holy Spirit envies our love and affection when we show it to someone who is not God, to a world. Envies it intensely. God hates it when we flirt with the ways of the world. When we show the world our love and affection, just like a husband or wife would hate their partner doing the same thing. Now, the obvious huge challenge for us is to stop the internal battle of our desires by ending this adulterous relationship with the world. We need to stop sleeping around. Now, if we're honest with ourselves and we're to take a good hard look at ourselves, I think at this point we would see a number of ways that uh, perhaps we're kind of showing love to the world. Maybe even that we actually do this quite regularly. You know, in different ways, like you'll have to think for yourself, like think quite hard about how you might do that. We might be well aware that we have massive internal battles going on right now, tonight, because of our distorted cravings, because they're too close to the world. What do you think? You know, a love of the world correlates to hatred towards God. A love of the world makes us adulterous people toward God. We need to change. We need to become more faithful. But on the chance that you're feeling quite condemned, hear the words of grace that James speaks. He says, because uh, he doesn't just cut us off. You know, like the average person, if you're unfaithful, they'd probably, be, they'd probably smack you around or they'd probably just give you nothing and never want to speak to you ever again. But no, not God. God is gracious. God shows us this unmerited favour toward us. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives us more grace. 
Now, God is gracious. He's gracious even when we are unfaithful. But this grace, hear me, is not cheap grace. This grace isn't to be taken lightly or just to kind of go, cool, man, that's fine. You know, he's gracious to me. I don't have to do anything. Now, God wants us to respond with like positive, affirmative action. He wants us to end our adulterous behaviour, to end our love affair with the world. So, next part, he tells us exactly what we need to do. What must we do? In a nutshell, we need to humbly submit to God. End the love affair, end the internal battles by humble submission to God. Now, verse 7 to 10 is full of commands that tell us how to humbly submit to God and the way to therefore end the friendship with the world. They're commands that no one can make us do. No one in this church can make you do these things to end your disrelationship with the world. No one because we have to choose to do it. Verse 7 starts with, submit yourselves to God. And then it flows out. This is how you submit. Resist the devil. Come near to God. It's like saying, deeply repent. He says, wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Grieve. Mourn. Wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is saying that our friendship with the world is cause for drastic action. There's no half measure being mentioned here. You know, do you have internal battles raging inside your head tonight? Do you desire things of the world? Are you too close to the world? Is your love for the world and not for God? James says, and he screams it out, it's not a half measure. He's saying that if you are too close to the world, if you have an affection, a love for the world, he cries out, humbly submit, resist the devil, come near to God, deeply repent, you know, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. There is no soft issue here. This is like, if you're there, like flee, get out, end it, like cut it off. Because that's how our relationship with God is ended, is ending. We can become bogged down in life, bogged down by having these desires that we think is important, but we simply sold the lie of what the world thinks we should have. Bogged down because our close proximity to the world is causing us to love the world. And James says, just repent. Just humbly submit to God. The result of humble submission is fantastic. If you're in a bog, uh, verse 7 says, the devil will flee from you. 
Verse 8, God will come near to you. The loving, holy, powerful creator of the universe will come near to you. In verse 10, God will lift you up. If you humbly submit your life to God, your friendship with the world will be put to an end and the battle will cease. You'll be set free from the bog to pursue things of God that give honour and glory to him. It's elevation. It's elevation. And instead of having eyes that constantly crave the things of the world, your eyes will be elevated to pursue the things of God. Instead of having a heart that longs for worldly stuff, your heart will long for more of God. Your heart will long for what God desires. Your heart will long for His desires. They'll become your desires. Like seeing people come to an eternal relationship with the loving, compassionate, righteous God of the universe. Elevated from the bog, free to serve God and give Him the praise and honour and attention and love and affection. Now, we may be tempted to reacquaint ourselves with the world, but when we come back, and God is gracious, and this is what he wants us to do, when we come back to him, when we humbly submit, we will not be bogged down anymore. We'll be elevated to think on the things of God. When I was a kid, bringing in the cows... I don't really think I knew that much. Sounded like I was a bit dumb, really, if I knew it was deep mud. I think the cows uh, just saw the mud and they needed herding in. Could have thrown a rock, could have run around the other side. Would have been a good technique. When I got older, I knew exactly the potential to get bogged in that muddy, pooey stuff. That made the challenge of riding my dad's motorbike through it all the more enjoyable. Dad would yell at me when I got back to the shed and he'd see the motorbike and go, what is that? But I would keep doing it because it was fun. Most of us here are spiritually old enough to know that loving the world will get us bogged. And we're not loving the world in ignorance. We choose to. We purposely decide to flirt with the world, to show affection to the world. And the result is we start to desire things of the world. And the battle begins to rage. So James says, not mincing his words, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Don't you know And the answer is yes. Yes. Yes, yes, we know that. People, God beckons us back to him. He beckons us to make him our first love and to humbly submit, to deeply repent. Find elevation. Find God's desire for your life. 
Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for your grace. We praise you that even though we are quite often are caught up with things of the world, that we do in sometimes, in some ways, uh, love the world. Father God, we just thank you for your grace and we thank you for the reminder that tonight you want us to, to turn back to you, to repent of this, to end this, uh, what you call adulterous relationship and to make you our first love. Father God, I just pray for each and every one of us here tonight that this would be our prayer, Lord, that, that we are sorry. Lord God, we are sorry. We repent. And we look to you, God, and we seek your forgiveness. We say, please forgive us in Jesus' name. And please help us to live for you in this world, but not loving it, God. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.